Hello there, this is Dr. Alan Hedberg, and once again, this is the podcast, The Psychology Report. You know, the other day I was down in uh, Bakersfield, California, uh, giving a speech to a uh, group of employees in a financial institution. They wanted to talk in the area of healthy living, healthy living. And of course, you know, we all know that you eat your fruits and vegetables, you eat your fish, and you exercise and you maintain a sleep pattern and so on to be healthy. We know that. But on the other hand, if you don't do other things appropriately, all that other work, the exercise and food you eat and uh, the way that you live, won't make much of a difference. So I pointed out to the group that really healthy living depends upon one's ability to communicate, one's ability to be assertive, one's ability to negotiate, one's ability to um, deal with problems and resolve them, and uh, whether they have a quarrel or not, but at least resolve it, and uh, to be more trusting of each other, and to be in a social group, and to be in a support group, and so on. And all that depends on our ability to uh, come together as a family, as a group of people, as an employee group of people or whatever, and work together and share a common interest, and that is living healthy. But you know, there's another factor here, and that is some of the things that are harmful, you just have to avoid. You can do all the good things about healthy living, but if you engage in harmful behavior, for what good is it? And one of the most harmful behaviors that we have in our culture, in our country today, is that of drug usage. Now you hear a lot about the opiate usage and all the drug addiction of those people who rely on painkillers to get through the day and to get through the week and have become addicted and now they can't live without it. We hear of people who are addicted to the uh, anti-anxiety medications such as Xanax and Ativan and some of those uh, medications and can't live through the day without it. But we also know that there's a large group of people that can't get through the day without their marijuana use or without their uh, electronic vaporing or tobacco use and various forms of drug use, but mainly marijuana use. And I'd like to kind of look at that again, once again. Unfortunately, this is a topic that is with us and it will be with us. And it's going to be the most destructive element of our culture, of our families, of our kids, and our young adults as they continue to be exposed to and tempted to use and then become involved in the use of these kind of drugs, marijuana primarily. Now, here's the issue related, you know, to that. Politicians today make the decision on allowing drugs to be used in a state or in a city on the basis of emotion. They listen to the voters. They listen to people who use marijuana, who want to use it more freely. And they aren't listening to the facts. They aren't listening to the independent scientists who study this matter and know what marijuana does to the brain and what it does to the life of individuals who use. 
Unfortunately, politicians go on the basis of persuasion and influence and emotional influence primarily. In the same way that our politicians have listened to this whole global warming argument. It's not been the independent scientist that has been listened to and has prevailed. It's been the emotions of the voter. And we have spent trillions of dollars in this whole area of climate control and have only moved the dial an infinitesimal amount. Well, it's the same thing when it comes to marijuana. We now have, as in the state of California, the use of marijuana recreationally at age 21. You know, recreational marijuana is interesting. That just means you can use it at any time, anywhere, in any place, because everything is recreational, right? So there is a wide range of opportunity to justify the use of marijuana because you're going to say, I'm just doing it recreationally. That means freewheeling use of marijuana. The other thing is that in California, as in other states too, they've identified the age of 21 as being the safe age that you can begin to use marijuana. Well, that's not true. The brain develops until it's 25 at least. Some brains develop at 26, 27. But certainly at 21, a brain is not fully developed. And it's still vulnerable to injury. It's still vulnerable to the influences of drugs upon that brain. The brain is in its final stages of taking shape and becoming solidified and becoming um, a full-functioning brain. But not ready at age 21. So why our politicians pick 21 is beyond me. Other than that the voter pressure persuaded them to do so. And that they based it on the fact that you can do other things at 21. So therefore, marijuana use must be all right at 21. Well, that's not the case. And any politician, anybody that's voted to allow marijuana to be used by 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds, and so on, is just putting our country at risk, putting our youth at risk, putting our young people at risk, putting our children at risk. Because it won't be at 21 that kids use marijuana. That's just the legal age. But we know from our studies that the age of marijuana usage goes down to age 14, when the brain surely is not ready to be developed. And it's very vulnerable to injury and to damage, permanent damage. So we are putting our kids at risk when we even allow it at whatever age we want to set when it comes to that. Now, what we do know is that um, the brain becomes very addicted to marijuana, even with a minimal use, a slight use, over the course of several weeks. It doesn't take long for the brain to be dependent upon and desire marijuana to be put upon it by smoking or by eating some type of edible with marijuana in it. It doesn't take long. So it's a matter of weeks of even mild use when the brain now becomes dependent upon and becomes addicted to marijuana. So we aren't looking at something that's going to happen maybe four years from now, five years from now in an addiction. 
It happens very soon upon the initial use of marijuana. Now, we also know this, that it affects the development of the intelligence of an individual in these early years. A person can lose eight points of intelligence by age 25 by the repeated use of marijuana. Now, eight percentage points or eight points in intelligence is a considerable amount of damage, is a loss of inability, a loss of ability to think, to solve problems, and to reason. That's intellectual loss. That means our kids educationally are at risk. That means we're putting our kids occupationally at risk. They are not going to have the full functioning of their intelligence that they would have otherwise had they not used marijuana. We know that the marijuana decreases concentration, decreases attention span. It interferes with problem solving. It interferes with the speed of processing information. That is, taking information in through the eye and through the ear and through touch and then processing it in the brain and storing it for usage for some particular reason. Now, we know that that whole process just takes a very short period of time. But among marijuana users, it takes longer. So reasoning, verbal comprehension, the ability to understand and to comprehend language and comprehend messages from other people as they speak, we know that that's all impaired. Muscle control is weakened. We know that. Coordination is impaired. Judgment's impaired. Reaction time is impaired. That means driving is at risk because that's Driving is dependent upon reaction time, to see something and then to respond to it in a very quick period of time to avoid an accident. So we know that marijuana then is a most dangerous drug, it's a most impairing drug, and it's a most um, uh, drug that will slow down the processing of our thought process, our thinking patterns, our reaction patterns, our decision-making patterns, and our judgment. Now, people justify by saying, well, marijuana helps certain medical conditions, such as pain control. Well, there's some evidence to indicate that marijuana may have some mild, moderate, and temporary benefit for a medical condition. But there are other drugs as well. There are other medications as well. There are other treatment modalities as well, as well that work on the modification of certain diseases and certain illnesses and certain pain levels. So we're not dependent upon marijuana. There are many alternative treatment programs out there that can be used. We don't have to use marijuana at all, but people justify it because that's what they want. And when you want something, you'll always figure out a way to justify its use. And that's what's happening in our population of kids and young adults who have chosen to be a drug user and now want the blessing of the state, the blessing of the community, the blessing of their parents, the blessing of the medical community, and the blessing of the educational community. Well, they're not going to get it. Because we know that educationally, kids who are using drugs have less intelligence to work with and have less thought process to work with have less judgment to work with, 
and their grades will not be as strong as they would be otherwise. We know in the workplace, more problems, more accident prone because of drug usage, more absenteeism, more inability to relate to other workers and to other employees, so there's more conflict potential. So the issue of marijuana has adverse effects educationally, occupationally, and certainly neurologically. But you know, it also does in one's marital situation. I've seen many marriages strain to its utmost because one of the members of the marriage chooses to use marijuana and puts upon that marriage and upon that family additional stress, argumentation, uh, ill behavior patterns of one kind or another to the point that the marriage may even terminate because it can't survive with this competing influence of drug use. So it contributes to our divorce levels as well, but certainly it contributes to the dissatisfaction and to the unhappiness and to the strain and stress within a marriage and family life. And everybody pays a price, you know, for that. So I don't know what you're going to do. I know as a psychologist that people don't make decisions on the basis of facts. I know that people make decisions on the basis of emotion. But you know, it's too late. When the emotions get stirred and the emotions get out of control because of marijuana use, it's too late. And one can only hope that one would listen to the facts. But we know that kids don't. We know that politicians don't. We know that drug users don't listen to the facts and terminate their drug use. It's an emotional experience for them. And it's something that they want. It's like an entitlement. They want it. They desire it. They've had it. They're not going to let go of it. So it's a battle that's going to be hard to win because it's an emotional battle, not a factual battle. It's an emotional battle, not a rational battle that we face within the marijuana decision-making. It's almost that one has to have a disaster, has to have a trauma and survive it and then reconsider the role of marijuana and drug use in their own life. That's the way it is with alcohol. It's hard to get people to stop using alcohol until they've had a life-threatening experience and survive it. And then they come back and say, because of this alcohol, I had that accident and I'm going to now terminate my use of alcohol. And more use of more termination of alcohol appears and occurs after a tragic accident, after a trauma. The same with smoking. People stop smoking if they have had a heart attack and survive it. 85% it gets a wake-up call. And that's emotion. That's how emotion operates. And we make our decisions on the basis of emotion. So one can only wait for the heart attack. One can only wait for the accident to happen. One can only wait for the stroke, you know, to take place. One can only wait for some kind of a trauma to occur. And then they reconsider their use of drugs and alcohol and tobacco and marijuana and such substances. Anyway, this has been the Psychology Report. I trust that you will take this information and uh, incorporate it into your life and incorporate it into your family life. And make it a matter of real serious decision-making. And have serious discussions 
with the kids in your life and in your family that this is no role, there should be no role of such medication, such drugs in their life. This is not something to play with. This is something to only destroy oneself with. And don't take the risk. Nice to have you with me today. And today I'd like to just one more time say to you, if you're in the elder population, Susan Hatch is your insurance agent of choice. Go to the phone book, look under Susan Hatch under insurance. She's the guru when it comes to Medicare insurance. So if you're in the Medicare market, she'll give you straight advice, good advice, helpful advice to make sure you get all the benefits and the proper benefits of the Medicare insurance plan and how that coordinates with other private health insurance options that you may have. Hey, good to talk to you today, and thanks. Go to my website, booksbyhedberg.com. Bye for now.